My friends, we are going to grow and get better together. This is not about me. This is about us. Welcome to Win Today with Johnny Martin. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Win Today with your boy, Johnny Martin. So happy to be back with you. A quick thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Headquarter Brand Apparel. You can find them on social media at Headquarter Brand and online at headquarterbrand.com. And we'll link them in the bio. And we will link them in the bio. Special thanks to our mighty Marine, Coke and his team at Headquarter Brand Apparel for sponsoring this episode. And we are going to get right back into it, folks. For those of you that did not have a chance to tune in to the last episode with my lifelong friend, Coach Kevin Turco, from Lindenwood University, Belleville in Belleville, Illinois, I highly encourage you to go back and check that episode out. Uh, as we continue our conversation today uh, with Coach Turco, when we left off, Coach was talking to us about his uh, passion and dream of coaching college football, his mentor, Lou Holtz, and his strong, strong desire to get down to Columbia, South Carolina, where Coach was at the time, introduce himself, uh, which has led to an amazing journey that we're going to talk about in this episode. But for right now, Coach, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again, my friend. We really uh, appreciate it. Uh, it's great to be back, John. Uh, so last time we, we left off, bud, uh, you had just gotten to University of South Carolina, made it to the football office, and were welcomed in to Coach Holtz's office. So take us take us the rest of the way, my friend. Well, when I actually got in his office, you know, he was just he and I, and he was at one end of his desk and I was at the other, and I handed him my eight-page letter, which I called my book, and, I, and this is – Truly, not, I'm not embellishing here. This is exactly what I said. I said, Coach, I said, I've read your books, the only two books I've ever read from cover to cover. I said, I think it's only fair that you read my book. And I figured that if I mail it to you, it would disregard as fan mail. Um, and he, he took it and he told me to sit down and he read all eight pages in front of me. And, um, you know, the, the meeting that I had with him was life changing. Um, so I got to ask you this, though, bro. I, got, I have to ask you this. You read both of his books, which I know. You wrote this eight-page story that you called your book, and it was sort of of your life up until that point and what brought you to Columbia, right? Sure. But your your statement to him was, I've read both of your books. Now, this is a dude you've never met before in your life. He's one of the most legendary coaches in the history of college football. And you handed him a, what I'm guessing to, was probably, did you even put it in a folder or was it all crumpled up like toilet paper? No, 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 no. I would never have handed him something like that. It was uh, on the best paper I could find. Um, I went through the grammar like 100 million times sure. the next night. That night before I got there, I went to the library and triple-checked everything. That's and, awesome. Um, so you handed, when I gave to him. Yeah, so you handed yeah, it to I, him and said, I read both your books. I think it's only fair that you read mine. Th that's correct. <laughs> and that's, you know, honestly, that's not really the truth. When I was in like high school, I read the book, To Kill a Mockingbird, and when I got done reading it, I had no idea how to kill a mockingbird, and I kind of got, <laughs> you know, discouraged from reading books from that point on. But womp, I, so womp, I didn't bring womp. that point up. So there's really three books that I've read and not two. Fair but, enough. Um, Fair enough. And so, um, but I meant that. I did say that to him, and he he read all eight pages in front of me. But one of the things in that conversation, um, as I'm looking at him, and I'm out looking to the right, like his office overlooked the entire stadium. He said to me, he said, Kevin, he said, I was supposed to go to Alabama on a recruiting trip this morning, but it got postponed for reasons I don't know. He said, but if I went when I was supposed to go, you would have came here and we wouldn't have met. And I quote, he looked at me, he said, 
it's almost like fate that we met. And I said, coach, I said, I, I believe the same thing. Um, but rest assured that if I came here and you were in Alabama, that would just would have extended my trip a little bit longer. <laughs> Cause, yeah. Cause you, and would, I said you that would have been driving to Alabama. I would have, and I would have ran out of money. I probably would have had to live there for the rest of my life, <laughs> you know, but my point being is, um, and I said that with the utmost respect, but I remember it, he kind of smiled when I said that because it was, I was on a mission. I wasn't going to be that kamikaze pilot that went on three or four different missions. I was on my way to accomplish the goal. And, um, and he knew you were he serious. Said, he knew you were dead serious. Is it, I'm, I was extremely serious. And, you know, I said to him, I said, I, I'll never forget this. I said, um, you know, I didn't come here for an autograph. I said, all I want to do is not be average anymore. But I said, nobody's ever going to believe that I'm sitting in your office. And I said it, I was, you know, it, again, this was an emotional conversation one that I'll never forget. And of course. he reached in, he reached in his desk and he pulled out his business card. And I, I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, and it said um, on the back, he wrote, Kevin, I enjoyed our visit. I'll be in touch. And he signed it, Lou Holtz. And um, I remember I took that back with me and it was a long journey back um, to Springfield. And I remember saying, he said, uh, what did he say? He said something like, um, you know, are you doing okay now? I said, yeah, I, go, I just got a long ride back. And he said something like, well, you probably should have called him first, don't you think? And, <laughs> you know, it was just kind of, he's kind of got this, you know, wit about him that's pretty funny. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, well, that wouldn't have worked, you know. Right. But I'm so thankful. And, um, you know, from that point on, um, he did get back with me. And as you know, I, I drove down there probably four or five times after that. It wasn't just one shot. This took four and a half years. Um, in that meantime, I, you know, I got hired on a Wednesday and left on a Monday to go out to Kansas to a place that I'd never been before in that 88 Delta at Red Velvet Seats because it was the only place that would hire me to coach college football. I remember next it like to, it was yesterday. Yeah. Next, next to um, Western and Winland College, which, you know, Jerry Martin is the first guy that ever hired me in college football, a guy I played for. And I, to this day, I'm indebted to him. And I'm just always grateful for that opportunity. But this was the first time I had a chance to go out and be a graduate assistant and um, I remember that it was a special moment in my life. I ended up graduating with a, uh, a master's degree at a 4.0 GPA, something that, you know, I never thought may have happened. Um, but it's amazing that the things that you could accomplish when you're willing to give things up to accomplish it. I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with too, that, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, if you truly want to be great at what you want to do, You've got to be willing to give some things up. and um, You've got to be willing, I, mean, I think, and you could speak to this too, but you've got to be willing to give a lot of things up. If you think about, and, and, and that's where I think people fall short, bud, is that we live in a society now where we have access to everything almost instantly. We have to work for very little, and people feel like, for whatever reason, that they're owed something. And yeah. uh, that mindset just doesn't work if you're trying to elevate who you want to be as a person. No so when you, when you talk about sacrifice and you, you know, we talk about it all the time on the show and in the work that I do with, with student athletes and families and clients, what are you willing to give up that other people aren't to get where you want to be? So I, I just think that's a great point, you know? It, yeah. Um, I mean, the weddings that I, I mean, heck, I wasn't even allowed to get to, I couldn't even get to your wedding cause I couldn't afford it. I know um, I'm living I'm, out of my, still mad at you about that, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, you were supposed but, to be. Uh, you you know, were supposed to be in it. I know I was. I know I was, but um, 
but anyways, um, and then uh, I think you got John Cena to replace me, right? I think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a bad fill-in. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, but anyways, um, it was an amazing journey, you know, and the things that you had to give up living in the car, not having any money. And um, it led me to St. Peter's College, where now they don't have a program, but it was a school in Jersey City. And I remember, John, I was uh, I was still driving that 88 Delta with red velvet seats. And now this is four and a half years later. And it doesn't have a muffler. And so, you know, it's a, lot, it's it's a, a muscle car now. Now it, it's it, become it a muscle car. It is. And it also alerts the date that you're picking up, you know, that you're about three blocks away, too. <laughs> you, you, you know, and so uh, going into that that place, I remember I made five hundred dollars a month and I was nearly 30 years old. And, you know, so many of my friends were married and they had kids and had careers and they were saving up for retirement and all the things that I didn't have. By, by, by my own choice. And every year I get passed up for this graduate assistant job that I was trying to get. It always seemed to open up in January. And, you know, from all those times I went down there, I started working their camp. So I got an opportunity to know some things. And I was pretty aware that this was Coach Holtz's last year. And um, they just hired somebody and it looked like it was over. I mean, here I have been, you know, for four and a half years trying to get this job. And um, I didn't get it, you know, and I know he's getting ready to retire. They're, they're not going to hire any more GAs, graduate assistants. And I'm making $500 a month living in this office close to 30 years old on a tile floor. Um, and I'd leave the lights on because they said if you leave the lights on, cockroaches don't come out at night. That I heard before. So I would take the cushions off the couch in the, in the waiting room, and I would just – that's where I lived. And, um, you know, you go from believing in your journey and, you know, and you're chasing this dream till you're sitting there going, maybe everyone was right. What the hell have I been doing? It's that self-doubt it, creeping in again. It does. It does. It's like that song that's out that fears a liar. You know, so is self-doubt. It's Self-doubt is a liar. And it'll make you feel like like you've made the worst mistakes of your life when, in essence, you're ready to take that next step. You just don't know it yet. That's you're right. so close. You're one step closer. But, again, and, and we say this all the time, so another great example for people that are listening to – living on a basement floor or excuse me, a tile floor at 30 years old in the coach's office. Cause you can't afford your own apartment. That Correct. self, that self doubt creeps in again. Like, man, am I ever, ever going to be gainfully employed in this field, which I love so much. And then, then that doubt starts to creep in again. And what we don't realize, and this is where most people fall short is that you could have hung it up 25 other times along the way, but that self doubt creeps in. And now what? No doubt. And I remember, you know, one night I was watching that, an infomercial on St. Jude Children's Hospital, and uh, it just kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it caught my attention, obviously. I mean, I don't know how it couldn't. And that eight-page letter, believe it or not, turned into about close to a 1,000 pages typed. When I was at the University of St. Mary's out in Kansas, I spent just about every night just adding to it. And I'm sure none of it makes any sense to anyone but me, but it was about my life, recounting things that I've experienced. And I remember thinking when I was typing that that someday I was going to make a lot of money off this thing because I was going to run out of that tunnel at South Carolina and people are going to hear this story. But every since I had that mentality, I kept getting passed over for the job. Well, here I am overlooking where the World Trade Center used to be. Um, it's like a cold, foggy night in Jersey City. I'm out of pier and I'm ready to quit. Honestly, God, I'm, it's dark. I'm looking over the river and I'm just thinking and praying and I just said, God, if you let me run out of this tunnel at the University of South Carolina, I'll donate that book to St. Jude Children's Hospital. And, you know, 
John, um, and I know because you live your life the same way, all of a sudden this journey became nothing about me and everything about doing something great so you can influence and help people or tell a story like I'm telling now that may help somebody down the road. And I guarantee, and I guarantee you it will help somebody down the road. It's when we take that step from being more concerned about our personal success and our yep. ego and our individual paycheck, and it's when we turn that corner and when we care much more about being significant, using our strengths and gifts to inspire other people to, to be better. And that's, it sounds to me, brother, like that's exactly what happened. It did. And, um, so this journey became not about me, about other people. And, um, the next day and not three days later, I'm, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. The next day I get off the tile floor and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I mean, I, I just got passed over for the job for the last time. He's getting ready to retire. I've been chasing this thing for four and a half years. I've driven down there four or five times. What else could I have done? And the phone rang and it was um, the University of South Carolina. And it was a guy by the name who's a dear friend of mine now. His name was Cliff Snow, um, the football operations guy. And he said, Kevin, I'm calling on behalf of Lou Holtz to extend an offer for you to be a graduate assistant on his staff. And, um, you know, if there was ever a moment where you're like, it really isn't about us because um, it's about other people because it was when I committed to that, that moment happened. And I remember, it, I remember calling you. I don't know if you remember, but I, I said, write this down. I said, I D I D I T. And I, and, and you're like, you know, what the hell does oh, that I mean? Do. I do remember that. And, and you're like, I said, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. I was and probably, we cried. Yeah, you're damn right I cried. We cried like we little babies, did. man. We all cried. I, I remember Stevie calling me too, who, by by the way, I'll never forget. He was the one that shared with me the first time that time is the best thing you can give somebody. Because he gave it to me one time when I was in Ohio when I was having a rough moment. I, remember. And I sat in that parking lot. And he sat there for an hour just sitting there talking to me, and I'll never forget it. Yeah. Um, but get, getting back to that moment, um, yeah, I should have wrote, we did it. And I, and, but at the moment, you know, you don't, I'm still learning. I'm still thinking that it's about me, but it wasn't, I wouldn't have gotten there without you and, and your parents and Pat Corthell and everyone at, you know, 21, 24, where we lived all that support. Um, and so, you know, you think about it, that was in March. So that next September, uh, was September 11th, ironically, 2004, um, university of South Carolina, were playing the number three team, Georgia, the university Georgia, university. Yep. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Yeah. It was on yeah. ESPN primetime game, eight o'clock. I'll never forget it. Was, it. Yep. ESPN day, uh, game day of the week. And, and uh, you were, I will never, ever forget it. In fact, we talked about it on the last episode, but I remember we had a, I don't know if it was my house or somebody else's house, but we knew you were, uh, on staff, you know, you had gone through preseason with them and you were down there on staff and, we knew we weren't sure if you were going to come out with coach Holtz or, but we knew we'd see you on the sidelines at some point. But yeah. the, the amazing thing was all of us, you know, my mother, my father, my brother and I, Pat, Lauren, the whole crew, we're all sitting together and we're watching our best friend in the front of the tunnel at Williams Bryce stadium in front of 86,000 yeah. people standing next yeah. to Lou Holtz, leading your football team onto the field. And I'm, I get the chills right now, just talking about it. But I remember yep. it like it was yesterday. We, uh, I ran out of the tunnel right with him. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. I, I got to the 50-yard line, and it's like – and I think that, you know, I think that it's – I hope everyone gets this moment where you're 
you know, it's that one moment in time where you were more than what so many people ever thought you could be that it, for one second, honestly, John, I felt like the world stopped spinning for one second just to, uh, just to take it in. Um, because you think about all that went into all the, those peaks and valleys and tough days, um, that it, it happened, but you know, like life, then the game starts and then you move on and, and you, you become a football coach and you handle your business and you got to keep on going because that's not the end of the journey. And I struggled with that a little bit because it's like, I got there and it's like, what's next? Now what? You feel like you feel like you made it. So what I really want to talk about too, bud, is the Mm -hmm. what's, is the what's next, you know, because I know that, you know, if you, if you go back to 2004, when you started at South Carolina, we're now in 2018, that's a long stretch of time. And and so just to kind of fast forward for our audience, um, coach since that time, you know, spent time at South Carolina, spent time at East Carolina university, spent time at a, at a, a, a great school in South Carolina uh, called Newberry College and some other stops along the way. Coach is now the head coach at uh, Lindenwood University Belleville in Belleville, Illinois. So I really want to take us there now, Coach, because sure. uh, you, you walked into a situation where, uh, and, you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you walked into a situation where there was uh, – a lot in your opinion as a newly hired head coach a lot that needed to change so i I really want to talk to you about about that process not just as it relates to your football program but but your plan and what you believe in so strongly in um molding these young men and creating a really significant program sure when when i walked into this program it was a program that was um in, in tough shape and um you know accountability and discipline and pride within the organization uh, didn't exist. Um, it truly didn't. Um, so one of the first things that I, I did was I, I hired a really uh, special staff, guys that I felt, and they do, I, I, I scored incredibly. If I've done nothing right, I've hired the greatest assistants in the world where we just check our egos at the door every day, and we believe that this is a calling um, for us to help these kids. And so I hired a great staff, you know, that used car salesman, college coach that, like, I know you've heard them where they call and they'll sell these kids anything they want to hear and they won't shoot these guys straight. That doesn't exist here. Um, these are just genuine human beings that um, surround, truly your, want to surround yourself with good people. It's contagious. I, I have. I really have. Um, I believe in my heart uh, that um, we're going to reach where we want to be, where this program becomes the very best it can possibly be. And, you know, I think there's two types of people. There's people that say that, and there's guys that have a plan. So I don't have a philosophy. I've got a plan, and it's really simple. We measure the growth in this organization in four critical areas. It's GPA, so we, we call them units here, not positions, because we want to be nine units strong going into every game. And so it's unit GPA, unit uh, discipline. Right. And that's the personal discipline. That's just being on time where you're supposed to be with a good attitude. It's a choice we make every single day. It's the strength in the weight room and it's your fundamentals. Those four critical areas will allow me and the staff to sit there from one semester to another because they're measurable goals. And, you know, is your program growing or is it dying? And so this past season, um, you know, it was it was challenging, to say the least. This is the best NEI conference in the country, um, and it has incredible 
coaches that we have to go against with great teams, classy programs. And, uh, and I knew this was going to be difficult. Um, but when we got the doors blown off us every week, every sure. week, sure. Um, I had to sit there and question, is this really what I want to do? Um, because it was, it was, I mean, it was traumatic, but here's the thing. We as a staff stayed true to our values and we held these kids accountable and we created an environment where being on time, having a good attitude, taking pride in your class and going to class, um, there was value to that because so many places I've been at, sometimes it seems like you go out to practice and 70% of the kids are doing all the right things. They have good attitudes. And then there's 30% that sometimes they're on time and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they want to be great. Sometimes they're not. They're like those locker room lawyers that are always stirring the pot. And so I used to sit there and say, well, why are these guys still allowed to be around? Because what's the value then of being on time and having a good attitude if they can still be here? Sure. And so because of the, the protocols that we put in place, um, you know, we ended up with, um, you know, it depleted some talent. And I think when some places, some coaches may have, um, you know, maybe compromised their values, we didn't. We stuck true. And now what we have is a, a genuine environment where kids, um, where guys, so we had, where guys believe in the process. They believe they in do. one another, and they believe in they you do. guys. So if you could just talk for a couple minutes around. Um, the importance for you as a head coach, as a leader, as a manager, because at your level, it's not just about the X's and O's. It's about being an effective leader and it's about running an organization, both from a, a fiscal and budgetary standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, uh, from a booster standpoint, a community standpoint. But at the end of the day, uh, I've always thought and still think what's critically important if you want anybody to respond to you in any way as a leader, then you have to build authentic relationships um, what have you found in your work uh, and in your life to be the key to building those relationships with your players and your coaches? Sure. We, we focus on three things here that we believe um, is going to uh, build a couple things. One, it's going to allow the player to become the very best it could be. It's going to help with retention and it's going to bring joy for him to be around this place. And so what it comes down to is three things. One, the coach, whether it's myself or these uh, assistants, um, you know, we got to earn trust. And, and, and really, that's nothing more than just doing the right thing a million times over again. And it's just saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Sure. Everybody, um, tries, to yep. everybody tries to complicate real simple things. It, they really do. And the other thing is, is connection. And I talk about it almost daily with my staff is we've got to connect with these kids outside of football. Build that, and, and that means the fifth teamer to the All-American. It doesn't matter. It's got to be authentic and genuine, and it's got to be with everybody because, you know, that fifth teamer would have been me, you know, and, sure. um, you know, that guy really wants to be, that's somebody's son. That guy's here has got a great attitude, and he wants to be great. And also that, and, that, and also that fifth teamer, um, in my experience, not just in athletics, but with, with any organization and any group of people, when you look at that fifth teamer, those people are usually the ones that end up leaving school, leaving college, and going on to become unbelievably significant human beings because so, they have yeah. characteristics that a lot of times the first string guys never have to tap into because those first string guys, even though they may be very driven, they also are athletically gifted. But when you're a fifth teamer at the best conference in the country in the NAIA and you decide to gut it out for four years, knowing you're never going to get a meaningful rep during a football game, man, what does that say about you as a human being? There's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt. 
Um, so we talk about um, trust. We talk about connection. And then that unit leader or coach has to be confident in what he's teaching. And I think that if you have a staff full of guys that are excellent at earning trust, really good at investing the time because it takes time with connecting with their men and being and they're confident in what they teach. Uh, those are the three pillars that we talk about all the time as a staff that I believe in my heart um, build those relationships with the kids that you're coaching. Have you seen it and, working? Oh boy, have we ever. We have such a genuine um, environment here right now and we're not where we want to be. Believe me, it, it, it's like anything else. It takes time, but um, we really have. I mean, you think about this. We had 82 kids this past fall with perfect attendance in the classroom. Now, we, we did go 0-10. I understand that. But when you talk about from an internal growth and you talk about that plan I just talked about with those four areas that we're working on, personal discipline, unit GPA, you know, you go from a 2-4 to a 2-9, you have 82 kids with perfect attendance. I guarantee you that's, that's better than any team in America. I any, would, I, I would agree that. it's better than any team in the country. And what I also respect tremendously is the fact that you own you know you just came on and said yeah we were we were 0 and 10 and the reason that I love that you shared that is because it illustrates the point again that you know what you cannot change a culture overnight you cannot become individually successful overnight you can't be team significant overnight but when you trust the process commit to the process commit to the plan and you know, based on your 20 plus years of experience at this level, what works and what doesn't, you own everything. You own the successes, you own the failures, you own the triumphs, you own the setbacks. That's your job as a leader. And so for you to come out and say, hey, we were 0-10, I love that because what that shows me and what that shows your men most importantly is that, hey, we're owning all of it. And I am still okay. not wavering from what we believe is going to set you men up to be successful, both on the football field as it relates to our record, but in life as men, when you get a degree from this great university. It's, it's amazing, John, that, you know, when things aren't going well, everyone seems to think that they have the answer. And, um, oh, you know, whether absolutely. you know, you're too hard on the guys, you're holding too high of a standard or in, in reality, um, I haven't wavered. I've adjusted, but I haven't wavered. And you know what? Proof's in the pudding. GPA's gone up. These All these kids are where they're supposed to be, and they're on time. They have 82 kids. We're perfect attendance in the classroom. You know, the and, they're be, class and they're becoming young men. They're becoming they are. men who are going to be great fathers, great husbands. They are. Yeah. They are. I'm so, we, we love these kids. I mean, honest to God, I can't tell you how many games you're going to win in the future. All I can talk about is just today. But where we are as a program today um, we're light years ahead of where we were. Um, and, um, you know, just from a recruiting standpoint, you know, we really focused on recruiting kids that talk more about their responsibilities and obligations and less about their rights and privileges. And I love that to have those, to have these, those kind of guys in this program that are willing to go out and help the community and, uh, just help one another, you know, um, sure. Let me let me ask you this, but because we're getting yep. we're getting close here. But okay. let me ask you this in sort of a quick soundbite, you know, sixty to ninety seconds, because I think it'll help people really uh, connect with some of the things that they can start to create in their own lives to make significant change, or the people that they lead, or the people that they're led by. If you could, from a personal standpoint, as a coach, as a husband, as a man, uh, what are some of the things? Maybe one, maybe two or three, what are some things in your life, pal, that are non-negotiable? 
that that they are the foundation the rock by which you plant the rest of your life on every day what are the non-negotiables for you in you know 60 seconds or so yeah um real simple um i gotta be trustworthy i want to be a guy that that's trusted and i want to be around people that i can trust um there's people that that mean what they say and they say what they mean doesn't mean that they don't make mistakes but they're trustworthy they're constantly trying to do the right thing a million times over um, they follow through on the things that they say. The other thing is to care. I'm around, I want to be around people that care about one another. They're, their heart's in the right spot, just like what we've been talking about. The reason why you do this podcast, you're not doing it for anything other than the fact that you want to touch lives and share stories with people and hopefully help somebody. I want to be around people that care about people. Um, and the other thing is I want to be around people that got a commitment to excellence in everything they do. It doesn't matter whether they're a uh, janitor whether they're a car salesman, a college football coach, a podcast uh, personality, whatever it is. I just want to be around people that, that take pride in being the very best they could be, and they're willing to pay the price to do it. Those are my non-negotiables. And I, I, um, I love it. I absolutely love it. For those of you that are listening, one of the things I'd strongly suggest is if you want to start to help create a really strong foundation by which you choose to live your life every day, Create not a list of things that you have already, a list of things that you like, but create a list of the things that are absolutely non-negotiable. And if the things that you run into in your life that question, that make you question whether or not it's the right decision to make or the wrong decision to make, or you headed on the right path, you have a benchmark by which you can check. Do these fall in line with my non-negotiables? For Coach Turco, they are trust, they are care, and they are commitment. Uh, and I will say, having known you for as long as I've known you, uh, not just as a, a dear friend, uh, call you a brother, but also who you who you are as a as a coach and a man, uh, I can I can say without hesitation that's that that is the way that, uh, you certainly live. I, I, before we go, I, I just want to say too, Coach, that um, you know I wouldn't be here without Ryan Kaiser, who's our athletic director. Uh, we've worked at several universities before here, and you know he's the first guy that took a shot at me and and he supports me every single day and uh he believes in me and um i just want to make sure that he knows and he gets the credit that's due even though he wouldn't want it that he knows how thankful i am for what he has done for me and then our president dr barger for signing off on it and believing in me as well and my wife um who i've got the greatest wife in the world who supports me every single day uh, my Lord Jesus Christ, who's our, who's my driving rock and force in everything I do, and I also want to thank you because you're my best friend um, next to my wife. And for all the people that are listening to this, if there's ever a testimony of a man um, helping another person, this man dragged me to run out of that tunnel on more than one occasion. And so I want to thank you. I love you like a brother. Your family, your your brother Steve, Uncle Mo, Princess Leia, <laughs> your mom, um, your wife, your kids, um, Pat Corthell and Lauren. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I, I, I'm just thankful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I I know that how highly you think of um, Mr. Kaiser, your AD. I, I know you guys have had a long journey together. I appreciate your your kind words and sentiments relative to 
me and my family, the only thing I can tell you is I'm humbled and honored to have been a part of it. Uh, I, I certainly don't in any way feel like I've been the driving force behind it, but man, do I feel so blessed to have been a part of it and will continue to be a part of it. I just want to thank you on behalf of um, Cloud9 Marketing Group, Seven Roads Media. Thanks, Coach. Um, and certainly, you. certainly, man, uh, you it, it goes without saying. I love you very much. I appreciate you and so grateful that you took the time uh, to rehash your story, your life, where you're headed now. And um, we all wish you continued success. Send the boys my love. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friends, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Win Today with my dear, dear friend, Coach Kevin Turco. As always, be good to those you love. Let them know you love them. And have a great day. Thank you to Seven Roads Media and Cloud9 Marketing Group for co-producing the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever platform you're on. Without you, I cannot continue to do what I love. You can follow me personally on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Real John C. Martin. I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out with comments and questions after each episode. Your comments push me to get better every day. As always, thank you for your continued support. And don't forget, win today.